Would you turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2, verse 15? And we're going to continue studying together verses 15 through 21. Many of you may already be there, but Galatians 2, verse 15. God says to us in His holy word through Paul, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, we come to hear from you this morning from your word. Lord, we know that your word is true. Lord, we ask that you would sanctify us by your truth, the truth in your word. Father, grow us in love, grow us in knowledge, grow us in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Well, last week, we started studying these verses together. You know, by the way, we study verses, right? We, we study Scripture because this is God's Word. We know that this is the Word of God. Amen? We believe that God has spoken to us. He has uh, given us His truth right here in His Word. And because we believe that, we focus so much of our time together on Sunday mornings studying what He says in His Word. We dive in. We try to carefully study to make sure we understand what He's said and what we should do because of what He said. And so, I know that our time together on Sunday mornings here in these services is pretty different from other places that you could be this morning and other, in other places. I, I just want to encourage you. I want to thank you for being here with us as, as we endeavor, um, you know, to study and to study deeply God's Word. Some people think, you know, it would just be a lot easier just to, to listen to something a little bit lighter, a little bit funnier, right? Um, a little bit more contemporary, but this is our intentional time of making sure we hear God's Word, what He has to say. And you don't have to be a, a, a special Christian. You don't have to be a mature Christian. You don't have to be a, an immature Christian, J- just a, a believer who loves the Lord Jesus. Or you can be here even not knowing Jesus and, and listen to this message from God's Word. Um, this is God's Word for all of us. So again, just thank you for being here. Thank you for the encouragement that you are um, in wanting to hear God's Word seriously studied uh, and deeply what it says. All of that to say, we studied the verses last week. We started studying these verses, uh, and we considered the circumstances that brought them about, uh, the context for these verses, that Paul is defending the gospel as the only true gospel from God, from Jesus Christ to mankind. But the apostle Peter and the faithful evangelist Barnabas and many other Jewish Christians had started to back away from that true gospel in their actions. 
Peter knew the truth of the gospel, that it is for Jews and Gentiles, that there was no distinction between them in the gospel. But in Antioch, certain men came, and he started to back away from that. And he didn't live that out. He, he started to live out a distinction, a separation between, you know, the, the, better, the better Christians or the, the truer Christians against those not-so-good, not-so-true Christians. Without changing his spoken message, Peter was changing his living message by withdrawing from Christians that were different from him. And there's debate over whether these men actually came from James and Jerusalem or if what they were supposed to be doing or if it was even their fault. Maybe it was just Peter's fault. But in any case, men came and Peter and other Christians decided to divide between themselves over their heritage, their DNA, their ancestry rather than standing united in the gospel. And that had caused other Christians to divide over those differences as well. And so we saw that Paul was confronting Peter and the other Christians in front of everyone because of the serious sin and how this sin was spreading among the Christians there. What we have in verses 15 to 21 is either a continuation of that public rebuke and explaining why it was such an egregious assault on the gospel, or we just have the explanation to the Galatians for why it was so bad. But in either case, this stands out. This, this particular passage just stands out so clearly to us because of that strong clarity of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to all kinds of people with no regard for their works, for their DNA, or anything other than faith in Jesus Christ. And that's going to remain true in the life of a Christian at the beginning right at the outset, and all throughout the life of a Christian. But specifically, we saw from these verses probably four accusations that the Christians were buying into when they decided to divide between themselves over uh, their differences, humanly speaking. Um, What had caused them to separate, step back from true koinonia fellowship around the gospel. We said that the first argument, the first accusation was probably something like you're mixing God's chosen people with sinners in verses 15 and 16. You're making Christ a servant or promoter of sin, verses 17 and 18. You're teaching God's chosen people just to live in continual sin, verses 19 and 20. And you're just throwing away God's grace, verse 21. Those were something like the accusations they were made. That that those could be wrong. I've, I've tried to derive those from the passage because that seems to be what Paul's talking about. Those are the arguments that he's arguing against, that this gospel doesn't do any of that. It's applicable to the Galatians because they're falling into the same or similar traps, the same arguments that Peter and Barnabas and the others had fallen into. And last week, we spent some time looking at how we fall into those same traps, those same kind of wrong beliefs, accusations against the gospel. We learned that every challenge to the gospel will either begin or continue to say something plus faith. Yeah, you got to believe, but you got to work. You got to do. You've got to fill in the blank with something, right? Or for, for the continuing life of a person, every challenge, every false gospel out there will continue, will begin with or continue as faith plus something. Something has to be done by you. So this is not just relevant for Peter and Barnabas. It's not just relevant for the Galatians. This is relevant for us as well. How do we fight the errors of false gospels that come against us from either outside or from inside? The world under the control of the little g God of this world, Satan, 
attacks the gospel. The world attacks it by, by trying to make the gospel irrelevant. It can come from people who have different religions or no professed religion at all. The world attacks the gospel by calling it close-minded, patriarchal, racist, hateful, and a whole host of other words, right? A whole host of other other things that, that the world accuses the gospel of being, and us, because we believe the gospel. The world can attack just by questioning, does it even matter? I mean, is it all that important? Trying to cause any kind of doubts. Is it really the only way? How do you know? How can you be so sure? Is there really anything after death? Those are all the outside attacks. Those are not all of them, but those are all some of the attacks that can come against us in our, in our thinking and our minds from outside of us against the gospel. But we inside experience attacks against the gospel from our own flesh. Our flesh, brothers and sisters, as you know, as we were talking about this morning uh, with a brother and sister on our side of the room over here, our bodies are not yet redeemed. Our flesh is still affected by sin. It loves this world and, and sin in this world, and so our flesh will attack the gospel from within, our own thoughts, our own feelings. You know, did, did you really believe? Are you really saved? How could you be saved? Look what you just did. Look, look what you just said, Right? Maybe this isn't the right way after all. Maybe it just didn't work for, for you. you know, may, maybe I should try something else. All of these attacks come either from outside or from within, and they add something to our faith. You better be better. You better do better. You better say better. You better fill in the blank with something, right? So to correct all of those attacks, those thinking wrongly attacks against the gospel, whether they come from inside or outside, we have verses 15 through 21. And we have many other passages as well, but by God's grace, this is where we are this morning. So there are two parts, and we started looking at the first last week. And it is that number one in your notes, although everyone is sinful, every one of us is sinful, anyone can be justified. Anyone can be justified, but only through faith. Verses 15 and 16, only through faith. We looked last week at how we understand from God's Word that everyone, all people, stand in need of God's justification, of, our, of salvation, of forgiveness of our sins. The Jews taught themselves, we saw, that they needed God's forgiveness when they sinned, but God freely gave it to them. They were His chosen people. They had His Word, His laws, His statutes, His instructions for the sacrifices that brought that forgiveness, Right? Uh, the atonement for their sins, they said, when we do this, God does that. It's a formula. I'm going to mess up, I do what He says, and then He forgives me. And it's great because I'm a Jewish person. That's what they had taught themselves. They were wrong that that's how it worked. They also taught themselves that the Gentiles, everybody who's not Jewish, also needed God's forgiveness, but there was no way to get it unless they became Jewish. This is what they taught themselves. God would always reject Gentile people because He had chosen the Jews. And we saw that they were wrong about that too because God intended for all people who were not Jews to hear about His great name and to come find out about Him and to believe in Him and they were to join in worshiping Him. So Paul says in verse 15, he started out, you know, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. You know, we, we, we talked about that, what that looked like, that, that Paul and, and Peter and Barnabas and the other Jewish Christians could say that. They, they would have said that before the gospel. Yet now, verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can point to in ourselves that say, you know, because God saw this in me, 
He saw what I would do. He saw what I would say. He saw what I, what I was made of. He liked that, so he decided to save me. There's nothing that we can point to in ourselves like that at all. It's not by works of the law. It's not by ancestry. It's not by anything other than through faith in Jesus Christ. We all stand in need of that forgiveness because we are sinners. We discussed that last week. A person is not justified by works of the law, but a person is justified through faith. Now, that's the wording of verse 16. What does that mean? What does that mean that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ? That's where everything hinges on in this verse and in the rest of the passage. So our first question that we have in our notes then is, what does it mean to be justified? Well, the Greek word here simply means to, be, to declare righteous. That's, that's in our notes, just to declare righteous. That's the best short definition that we have. Now, there's another short definition out there that's a little bit catchier, a little bit easier to remember, but easy to remember isn't always best. It goes something like justification, justified means just as if I had never sinned. And it's popular, it's catchy, it's easy to remember, but it's wrong. If I have a lock, a a, a safe with, with a combination lock on it, and I put all of my important stuff in that combination safe, and then I spin it and lock it, and then I say, you know what, an easy to remember combination would be one, two, three. And I put that into the safe and it doesn't open because the combination isn't one, two, three. It's easy to remember one, two, three, but if that's not the right combination, I can't get anything out of it, right? Just as if I never sinned may be catchy and easy to remember, but it doesn't teach the truth about what justified means, what what it means to be justified. Here's an illustration of what it means to be justified. You asked your child to do his chore. He didn't, so you confront him. Why didn't you do, I asked you to do your chore, Why why didn't you get your chore done? He begins to justify himself, (laughs) right? You asked me to do my chore? Oh, I'm so sorry I did not hear you ask me to do my chore or I would have done it. You know, I was doing homework. I have so much homework and you want me to get all of my homework done. And you know how important it is for me to learn. And so I was doing homework and, you know, I've always done my chore in the past. I'll always do it when I'm asked. I'll get right on with my chore as soon as I finish cleaning my room because I know you want that done as well. And it's so important to have a clean room. That's justification. I'm totally innocent. (laughs) It's not that I've never done anything wrong. It's not just that I've not done anything wrong. I always do right. I'm always in the right. That's what justification is. It's not just as if I've never sinned. It's even though I have sinned, I'm declared righteous. We understand that that illustration, of course, was self-justification, which never works. It's always empty, right? But this is what it is. It's perfectly righteous. To be declared, to be stated to be in a state of perfection, perfect righteousness. If all that justification meant was that it was just as if we'd never sinned, we'd still be in pretty bad shape. We'd still be in trouble. Because God's standard as the holy God is not, have you never done anything wrong? God's standard is perfect righteousness, absolute purity. It's not never doing anything bad, but always doing everything perfectly. That's His standard. That's what we're supposed to to notice in the law of God. That's what we're supposed to not be able to do and recognize that we can't do that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
So justification goes far beyond just as if I had never sinned. It's being declared righteous. And again, we all have that need to be declared righteous. Because again, the first part of our notes, every one of us is sinful. We have all fallen far, far short of that standard of complete and total pure righteousness. God doesn't treat us just as if we'd never sinned because we have. We have sinned, and our, and our sin affects every part of us. You know, if He treated us just as if we had never sinned, He'd treat us like angels, the angels that have never sinned, the angels who don't need to be redeemed, the angels who don't need to, to be saved by Jesus. God doesn't treat us like that. He treats us like the people that have become His sons and daughters in Jesus. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 3 so we can see this a little, a little more clearly in the Word of God. Uh, we're, we're going to resist as much as possible straying from Galatians, but, but this point, just so we can see it, and there are other points that we'll look at as we're here in, in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, it says, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, and all human beings are under God's law. All, all of God's law has declared that we are sinful, we're guilty, we're condemned. What's the result? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Again, in that illustration of self-justification, that doesn't even happen before God. Our mouths don't even work. We can't give an excuse or a reason. We have no way to justify ourselves before God. We are accountable to Him. There's not anything that any person will be able to say in defense of himself or herself before God for our sins. We cannot declare ourselves righteous. We're all accountable. Now, since we're here still in Romans 3, let's look at what this word justified, how it's used here. Look at the next verse, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human, will be, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, this is an idea that's going to be expanded on later on in Galatians, but the law was never meant to show you how to be a better person. The law was never meant to, to help you feel good about yourself because you were good enough before God because, look, I've checked all these boxes of God's law. It was always intended to show you how far away from God's holiness you are. You and I are. When you rightly understand God's law, that's what you're going to see, the holiness of God, the perfect purity of God. And my own impurity, my sinfulness, through the law comes knowledge of sin. It teaches us how sinful we are, not how to be better than we are. So keep going here in Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We, we looked at this and we understand that the law reveals God's holiness, His perfect purity, His total righteousness, but now His righteousness is manifested, it's shown to us apart from the law, because looking at God's law was only to our detriment. I can't meet up with that. I can't, I can't measure up to that. Even though the law was bearing witness the whole time about God's righteousness through faith rather than the law, the Old Testament was true. Mankind just kept missing it. But now God's righteousness is also seen through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The law shows us God's righteousness in God. Faith brings God's righteousness to us. Works can never do that. Things that I try to do, my efforts can never do that because works reach inside of me to pull out something that can never be there, God's righteousness. 
faith reaches up to God so that he gives us his perfect righteousness, what only he has, what only he can give us. That's why to finish out here in in chapter 3 of Romans, verses 22 and 23, it says, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. We all fall short. But verse 24, and are justified, there's our word, declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's not anything we've earned. It's a gift of the grace of God, undeserved grace. Now, where does that righteousness come from? If I can't do it, if, if I, can't, I can't make it happen myself and in myself, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God that comes through faith doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It's not an imaginary, uh, just um, something that he made up. It just comes out of nowhere, imaginary, arbitrary. It's not something that's just made up. It was a real righteousness from a real human life, the life of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life, and that becomes credited to us when God removes our sin and places that on Jesus. This is why it's called a forensic justification. Big words this Sunday, right? Big new words sometimes. Forensic justification. It's a legal declaration of standing as righteous. Not that we've been righteous ourselves or could ever be, or that God just pretends that we've never sinned before. Even though we are guilty and everyone knows it, God declares us perfectly righteous. Well, there's much more that we could say here in Romans and 2 Corinthians and more, but back to Galatians. To be justified means to be declared righteous. It's important that we hear that. It's important that we understand that, that we know that. If we were to think of a courtroom and think of a trial, we're all on trial. Well, actually, the trial's over, right? All the evidence is in. We are guilty. We're, we're condemned, okay? So don't think of, don't think of a courtroom like we're, we're still on trial and, and that, you know, we can somehow redeem ourselves. We can kind of get out of this on a technicality or something. No, the trial's already over. We've been found guilty, The evidence is all in. The case is closed. We're sinful. And the verdict has been read. Guilty on all counts. That's that's where we stand. And the sentence we've already been told is determined, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. We're We're going to be sentenced to death forever in a place called hell. But just as the verdict has come, guilty, Just before the sentence is read and carried out, the judge interrupts the entire proceedings and says, not guilty. Not just not guilty. Innocent. Not just innocent. Perfectly righteous. All praise to God for that salvation, for justification. Even though we're guilty, he declares us the righteousness of God that comes to us through Jesus. That's what justification means. That's what we mean by justification. That's what, is, that's what Paul is teaching us here. That's what God wants us to understand about the gospel. But how, how can it be applied to us? How can, how can we be justified? 
It comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16, not by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That adversative there, that word but, is a strong adversative. It carries the, there are only two alternatives. There's either this or that. It's not that, but it is this. The only other alternative, it's not by works. The natural question then, since it is by faith, number two, the second question is what is faith? Well, let's look at what he says here in verse 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So in the context here of what this is saying about faith, begin with those first words, we know this. The first word is know, it's, it's knowledge gained, and so that's first in our notes here, know the truth. Faith begins with knowing the truth, the facts, the truth given to us, accepted first by our intellect, our brain. Can we make sense of the the facts? We know. He says, how do we know? The information has to be given to us. How does that information come? Romans 10, 17 says that that knowledge, faith, comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. You must hear the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ contains all of the facts, all of the truth about Christ. We have to hear those facts. We have to hear that truth. We have to know those things. It begins with hearing and learning the truth so that we know it. We've looked before at Romans chapter 6 and verses 8 through 11. The context there is the gospel. We're baptized into Christ. We're raised with Him to walk in newness of life. Our old self is crucified with Christ. But he says this in Romans 6, 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. He says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's what we know, the truth of who Jesus is and was and what he did. He died, but then he rose again, and it continues. He says that we also must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Do you hear all the things we know that's part of the gospel, that's part of the faith that we believe, that we know these things? Here's the truth, we hear it and we know it. The clarity of 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again according to the Scriptures. The third day, it's the truth from the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, faith is not some blind leap off of a cliff, like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just jumping because I believe. (laughs) It's not that there's no real substance to our faith, no reason to believe, nothing solid to believe in. The facts of the truth are here in the Scriptures, and they're solid. They're a foundation. We need to hear this truth so we can know this truth. Otherwise, we'll just be believing anything. And nothing else is this foundation that this truth is. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, here's what the Scripture says. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written... Not according to what we've felt, not according to what we've thought or imagined or wished up, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring you into his presence. We've got to hear the truth. We've got to know the truth, especially Jesus' death and resurrection. So faith must begin with knowing facts, knowing the truth. If we know lies... Our faith is a lie. Our faith is in a lie. It's it's not real. It's not real faith. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is saved except through Jesus. The way, the truth. The, the, The truth in person. 
In 1 Timothy 2, God desires that all people would be saved. How? To come to the knowledge of the truth. Faith begins with knowing the truth, knowing the facts. I had a conversation with someone recently, and I was trying to explain the seriousness of this. And, and you know, I can't know anybody's heart, whether somebody's saved or not. I can't look into their heart and, and see what they've believed and, and what's happened in there. But I can tell you that if a person knows a different gospel, if what they know of the gospel is not this gospel, what they know is not the truth. What they know is not what's saving them. Throughout the Scriptures, there is truth that we must have before we can believe it. It's not anything goes, right? It's not just believe to believe or just have some faith. Just have, have faith. It's faith in God's solid, substantive truth. We've got to know the truth before we can believe it. We must know that God is holy, that He's pure, that He's powerful, that He will judge. We have to know that we are sinners full of sin. We deserve His judgment, His wrath. We have to know who Jesus is. Someone, someone said, it doesn't matter who, yeah, somebody, what they believe, it doesn't matter what they do, as long as they believe in Jesus. I said, but which Jesus? They said, well, there's only one Jesus. Yes, there is, but there are a lot of false Jesuses. There's a lot of false Christs out there. And the only thing that sets the real one apart, the true one apart, is the truth that sets him apart from the others. The truth matters. This is why our faith is not in faith itself, not just in believing. Well, I have faith in that, that something's going to happen or that somebody's going to do something. Our faith is in the living truth, Jesus himself. That's why every time we see this in this verse, Galatians 2.16, every time we see it, it's not just faith. It's not just that we can be justified by faith. It's justified by faith in Jesus Christ, believing in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ. We have to hear that. We have to hear that Jesus was God and is God, always was and with God. We have to hear and we have to learn that he was a human being. We have to hear, we have to know that he lived his entire life without sinning one time. We have to hear, we have to know that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended into heaven, that he's going to come back for us. We need the truth of Jesus so that we can have faith. It's not the lies that set you free. Jesus said the truth sets you free. So we need to know it. So faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. That's how it comes to us. It begins by hearing it and knowing it, but that's not all there is. In verse 16 here of Galatians 2, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. So that's next in our notes. Believe the truth. Don't just know the truth. You've got to believe the truth. <laughs> you know, I thought about this this week. If it was only about, know, about hearing it, and knowing the truth, I would be all for setting up this virus that infects everybody's phone on the planet that just immediately and always proclaims the gospel. <laughs> like that, that was all their phone ever did, and their computer, and their smart TV, <laughs> and anything else. And we could just get it out there. If all it was was hearing, then I'd be all for that, but that won't work. It's not just hearing. When you hear the, the facts, the truth of the gospel, you've got to make a decision in your mind, am I going to receive and believe that? Am I going to accept that or am I going to reject that? Am I going to replace that with something else? You could give all the facts to a person. They could learn them. They could memorize the facts and the truth of the gospel. They could repeat it all back to you, but they may still choose to reject the truth of the gospel. Learning is the first step, but it can't stop there. It must be believed, received, and accepted. Remember when Jesus was here on earth in John 6, and he, he constantly and only taught the truth and spoke the truth about himself. In John 6, 
Verse 60, many of his disciples heard it. They heard all the truth that he was giving them. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So Jesus pressed even more. This is the truth you've got to hear. You you need to hear so you can believe. But in verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's so hard to hear. They had the truth, the truth in person. Jesus Christ was giving them the truth directly, and they rejected it. So Jesus turned to the twelve. He asked them, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, that's how it works. We have to hear the truth. We have to know the truth. And we have to believe the truth. Everything else out there is a lie, and it's wrong when it challenges the gospel, when it comes against or tries to replace or, or supplement the gospel. We've got to hear and come to know it and then believe it. To believe means to be totally convinced so that we trust it. From the depths of our being, we embrace it. We don't depart from it. We don't turn from it. We don't substitute it. We don't try to augment it with anything. This is the truth, and I believe it. I accept it. The warning is in 1 Timothy 4, where the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, this objective set of truths, these, these, these facts, some will depart from the faith, and how are they going to do that? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, anything other than the truth, but they're going to devote themselves to it. They're going to believe those things and just embrace all of those teachings through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So faith is not just hearing the truth. We have to come to understand it and we have to know it and then we have to believe it. But a belief in the truth, faith as belief, is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing standing belief and trust in the truth, God's Word, the Word of Christ, the Gospel. Now, there's a final aspect to the faith that we need to understand. It starts with hearing and knowing, so we have to believe so that we're fully convinced. But even that's not far enough. You say, what? What are you talking about? That, that's what faith means, right? To believe. Here's where we stumble in much of the church. We may not fall often into the trap of adding works to faith in our salvation. Lord willing, we've been seeing how often we do do that. But what many of us in the church have done is we swung way over to the other side. We said, look, works aren't how we're saved. Therefore, works are unimportant and irrelevant. Works are not irrelevant. Works are not unimportant. They do not contribute to our faith. But true faith compels us into action, into works. True faith motivates us not only to hear it, not only to know it, not only to believe it, but to act on it. That's final in your notes there. Under faith, what does it mean? It means to know the truth, to believe the truth, and to act on the truth. How do we know that? Well, first, (laughs) a scary and sobering verse from James chapter 2. James told the people there, you believe that God is one. You do well. That's good. It's a good start to know that and to believe that. That's good. But even the demons believe and shudder. Demons have a very clear and direct knowledge of the truth. They know a lot more of the truth than many of us do that are here this morning. 
They know exactly who Jesus is and who God is. You remember what they said in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus came to them? They said, what do you have to do with us, O Son of God? They knew him better than people on the planet did at the time. Anybody else at the planet. They called him Son of God. And they said, have you come here to torment us before the time? They know their eschatology. They know the end times. They're not filled with hope but dread about it. But they know it, and they believe it. There's no doubt in their minds about any of it. Catch that, brothers and sisters. Did we catch that? Do we understand that? Don't let anybody tell you that faith is just believe. Faith is believing, but it's believing the right information, the right person, Jesus Christ, the living truth. But for faith to be real and complete in a person, it must produce action. It must produce works. What does the belief do to the demons in James chapter 2? They believe and they shudder. They tremble with extreme fear. They're shivering. They're shuddering because of their belief. Is that what belief in us is supposed to do? Which just cause us to be paralyzed and shudder and tremble and fear? No, faith causes us to trust Christ so that we act on that faith, that belief, and that knowledge. Faith causes us to look to Him for our justification. I, I don't have any way to be made right before you, God. I have no way to be declared righteous. Jesus said, when you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments in John 14. If we don't keep his commandments out of love, we need to wonder about our faith because Galatians 5 teaches us, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's not our works that count for anything in salvation, but only faith working through love. That's what Galatians 5, 6 says. See, it's not our works that bring us into salvation, but our salvation brings us into works. The reformer Martin Luther said it this way, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Here's how God explains it in Titus 3. We say, what do we need to know? We need to know that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, here it is, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That was God's gift to us, to, to declare us righteous who were foolish and, and passing our days in malice and envy and all the rest. Where does faith come in? He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. You're telling me, though, that, that, that good works aren't part of my salvation. They're not part of, of what saves you but they are part of the faith that saves you. The good works are brought about because of your faith. It's not our works that bring us into salvation, but our salvation brings us into works. We're saved by faith, not works, but the, safe, the, the, the faith that saves works. That's what Hebrews 11 demonstrates. Over and over, it was by faith that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah constructed the ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, by faith, by faith. Each of the people in that hall of faith in Hebrews 11 acted, they worked, they trusted, they depended on, they obeyed God. So we're justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, we haven't gotten to how we get that faith, and, and once we understand that, it, it'll clear up some questions, but well, then we'll have other questions. Hopefully, this is a good start to understand the, the joy that we have in our salvation that God does for us, what we could never do simply in faith in Jesus Christ. He makes it so that we become declared righteous instead of the sinners that we are when we hear, we know, we believe, and we act on the faith, the truth of the gospel. Well, we've previously given a definition of faith. You see it there in your notes. It's spelled out faith, but it's fervent action in the hearing. Fervent action in the hearing. Maybe it helps us to understand and remember that faith is hearing and knowing and and comprehending and then believing it so that we act fervently. Our flesh will try to convince us we're good with God and others simply because we do good things. Our other people may become convinced that, that we're good people because of our actions, but if those actions don't come from faith, from hearing God's Word, knowing God's Word, believing His Word, and then living for Him because He's saved us, it's just empty works if that's not where it comes from. Faith brings its own true works. Now, Again, this has probably been very different from what you may have heard in other places on a Sunday morning, but if you see this, you understand this, you know this, you believe this, you act on this, you see God's work, and this leads to worship. This leads to praise to Him for His amazing work for us, His grace toward us, His mercy. If you don't see this in your life, don't leave without talking to a pastor. We're here to bring you to this Jesus so that you can understand, so you can know, you can hear And you can believe and act in faith. Father, we praise you, Lord, for your salvation of us. God, we know that we could never deserve it or earn it. Lord, what a joy it is. What a a peace it brings and a hope for now and the future, God, because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, there's nothing that we can possibly ever do to be saved ourselves. God, there's nothing we can do to fix ourselves. But Jesus, Lord, but Jesus... He lived perfectly. He lived totally, righteously, purely. God, he did everything right, loving you, loving the people around him. God, he did that so that he could give that perfect righteousness to us so that we can be declared righteous. God, I pray that you would draw near to each person here. Father, that if, this, if there is someone here, if there are people here who don't know you, God, that have never believed in Jesus Christ, that have never heard of him, or they don't know him, they've never believed, they, they've never acted on any of that faith that comes through your word. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself in repentance and faith. God, for those who already know you, who already are your son or your daughter, God, I pray for encouragement and for, for joy and for hope and peace in each life. God, we know that we can't get peace here in this world. We know that this world lets us down. We know the world is full of division and strife and anger. God, it's full of everything that rebels against you. But God, in, in your word and your truth, when we're together, we have peace and we have hope. Father, we praise you. We rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, we ask all of this and we pray all of this. The name of Jesus Christ, amen.